morning. Thank you, Linda, for that testimony. You know, I, uh, I've seen several people over the years that uh, would be diagnosed with different things. They would go to the doctors, and the doctors would just be amazed. they say, you haven't been passing out, you haven't been, and you just go by what, how you, what God's doing. No matter what they, what the test, I mean, if you're feeling good, and you know, when I was a paramedic, you know, we was taught to treat the patient, not the monitors. Sometimes a monitor can come unplugged, and when you shock a guy that don't need it, they really get upset about that. They don't like. <laughs> they don't like it. Amen. We're glad to see you at Grace Point this morning, and uh, appreciate you being here today. What a wonderful worship service, and just glad. Uh, for what God's doing, healings, deliverance, amen. Won't you move out of your seat this morning, wave at somebody, fist bump them, shake your hand, hug your neck, whatever you feel comfortable with. Just welcome them to Grace Point. Let them know we're glad they're here this morning. I'm just going to ask you to stand for a moment while we read the scriptures. I, uh, you know, there's so many truths that, you know, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, set you free, right? He didn't say you would hear the truth. He said you would know it. And there's just something about when you have one of the truth of God, the truth that he reveals to you about healing or whatever it is, but when you know it, when you, you're not thinking about it, you're not, but when you know it, that means nobody can wrestle that out of you. No storm, no circumstances can change your mind on believing that truth. And this is one of those for me many years ago, haven't talked about it in a long time, uh, and we want to talk about the disciple Jesus loved. Uh, if you can receive that, that's each and every one of us. I mean, knows God doesn't have favorites. He, he loves all of us. Uh, but yet, we all don't love God the same. Now, God loves us the same, but we don't, we don't reciprocate that love the same because we don't have the revelation, some of us, of that love. John 19 and verse 26, this is Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. And uh, all the disciples, as Jesus had prophesied, would forsake him that night they uh, abandoned him in the garden when he was arrested and uh, they all fled for their lives uh, Jesus is on the cross there's no disciples he's actually been there from 9 a.m. to 12 noon and then around this time only one disciple out of the 11 remaining Judas at this point has hung himself as he has 
betrayed the Lord. And, uh, but where are the other ten disciples? The ones that Jesus spent those three and a half years with. Where, where are they when he needs them the most? None of them are to be found except one disciple shows up and his name is John. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple, notice how the, the wording is, whom he loved, standing by. Now many years ago when I was reading the Bible one day, it's probably been 20 years ago, I was just reading this passage and what stood out to me was the statement that and Jesus saw the disciple whom he loved standing. And the question hit my heart is why is this guy able to stand when the other people, other disciples are not? Why do some Christians get over things quicker than other Christians? Why do some Christians, you know, go on and continue on even though they've had uh, tragic uh, era sin in their lives? How do they get over it so quickly and go on when others just backslide and leave the church and stop following God over it? Uh, Jesus sees this disciple standing there and he says to him, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Now, the Apostle John, he had a revelation of God's love that went further than the other disciples did. And it wasn't Jesus' fault. It wasn't that Jesus just favored John over the rest of them and, and you know, liked him more, better, or anything, anything like that. And, and then from here on to the concluding of the book of John, five times. Now, you got to, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, mind you, but John is the one writing this gospel, the gospel of John. And so John refers to himself as the disciple whom the Lord loved. That is unique to him. No one else in Scripture ever did this. John did this, and he, he continued that litany throughout the book of John. And that's the only way from this point forward that he refers to himself. And there's a great revelation in that. Jesus loved all the disciples, and the Scriptures clearly say that. But John was transformed by the love that he finally got a hold of, that I'm a disciple that the Lord loved. And he, his identity changed, okay? I'm going to let you be seated. But most, most of us grew up, you know, I did, grew up in a church that would normally say this every Sunday, every service, as a matter of fact. They would say, how many of you in here love the Lord today? You know, and people would raise their hands. How many had that experience in church? How many of you love the Lord? And people would raise their hands. And then, but the question that we should have been asking is, how many in here today know that you're absolutely adored and loved by God forever? Raise your hand. You won't see as many hands go up. Because people are not convinced that they are loved by God. They, they, you know, and so I spent decades as a believer trying to seem, you know, so to speak, stand on my tippy toes trying to get, you know, to love God. Uh, people would say, you know, if you love God more, uh, your problems would be less, you know. We we would say, you know, we would, you know, the, the greatest problem is you just don't love God enough. And Jesus, you know, made a statement one time. You know, he was teaching, and he said, "If you love me, you'll keep my commandments." And we see that as a as a as a threat instead of a promise. Uh, you, you know, like if you love me, then prove it by doing what I tell you. That that's that's legalism, and uh, that's not what Jesus was saying at all. And in fact, the, the Bible uh, tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it explains love to us. It says, in this is love. In this is love. And it says, not that we loved God. 
not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation. The big word propitiation means acceptable sacrifice. And that he is the acceptable sacrifice for our sins. In 1 John 4, 19, it says we love him. Why? Because what? The, what that verse tells us is that you and I are incapable of loving God until we first get a revelation of his love for us. If God is love, you, you can't get love unless it comes from him. God doesn't have love. God is love. And, and so, so I, I want you to see something that happened to this apostle, this disciple. Uh, he forsook Jesus just like the rest of them did. He abandoned the Lord. He ran for his life when they arrested Jesus and, and all that. And, and, and John blew it just like the rest of them. John had a special relationship with another disciple named Peter. And we see this, and I can prove this to you with the scriptures, and I won't necessarily take all the time, but we see them after the crucifixion even hanging out together. Um, we, we see that. Now, Now, John, his name literally means uh, uh, graced by God. That's what his name means in the Hebrew, graced by God. So, that's, so John represents grace. Now, Peter, what did Jesus say that his name was? Cephas, which means what? Stone or rock. And so he represents the law. And so Peter was a very good representation of what it's like for a Christian to, to, to be uh, law-minded, to, 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 to live by the law, to think that they can obey the law. And so, so uh, remember Peter, he boasted in his own strength. Jesus at the Last Supper told him, he said, all of you are going to betray me, you know, forsake me this night. Now, one of them was going to betray him, and of course, that was Judas Iscariot. But he said, all of you will forsake me. In other words, all of you will abandon me on this night. Of course, Peter is the first to speak up, and he, and he said in Mark 14 and 29, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not. In other words, Peter said, these are, in another one of the Gospels, he said, they may all forsake thee. I will not forsake you. Peter said, not only will I go with you, but I will die with you. So he's writing checks that his can't cash. Fill in the blank like you need to. He's boasting with his mouth. People do that all the time. Well, I would never do that. I don't know how that person committed that sin. I would never. And they're boasting in their own strength. That's legalism. There's no power in that. So Peter meant what he said. He really did sincerely mean that I, I, you know, they all may fail you, but I won't. I'm committed. I'm dedicated. I'm consecrated to you, God. He, you know, he, he said, not only will I go to Jerusalem with you, I'll die with you. Well, then we know how the story goes, right? A teenage girl, Peter walks up to a fire. It's a cool night. He's trying to warm by the fire, and she recognized his speech, those, that Galilean accent. The Galileans were considered country folk, and their accent gave them away. And she said, you're one of his disciples. She said, your, your speech betrays you. He, he says, I'm not one. He said, you know, and he begins to call down curses to let her know that I'm really not who you think I am because he's fearful for his life. And, and uh, he denies that he knows Jesus. 
Because it was right after Peter boasted in his own strength and said, these all may forsake you, I never will. Peter, uh, the, Jesus looked at him and said, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows, before daylight. Peter didn't believe a word of it. And then he finds himself fulfilling a prophecy that he didn't want to fulfill, and he denies that he even knows the Lord. And then, of course, when that happens to Peter, you know, the Bible said he went away sorrowfully. He, he, as far as he was concerned, he was through being a disciple. He had blown it too bad to ever recover. And, in fact, he said to the other disciples, they seemed to be hanging out with him and trying to, you know, deal with him. And Peter says, I'm going back to my old life. I'm going back to what I used to do. I'm going fishing. They said, well, we'll go with you. That's what you do with people that get messed up, get off track, blow it. You don't abandon them. If they want to go fishing, go fishing with them. So they hang out with the guy. Now, while they're fishing, this man appears on the shore and says, children, have you called anything? Have you any meat? He said, we hadn't caught anything. We fished all night and hadn't caught anything. And he said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll, you'll catch something. And John was the first one out of all the disciples that were there in that boat. John recognized Jesus quicker than the rest of them. See, when you know that you're loved by God, your perception will be heightened. They were all there. Why didn't they all recognize him simultaneously? Because there's a difference in how you and I relate to the Lord, not how he relates to us. And John was the first to recognize, and he says to Peter right there in the boat, he said, it is the Lord. When Peter heard John say it is the Lord, the Bible said he took off his garment and dove into the water. The boat could not get there fast enough for Peter. And he dove into the water and he swam to get to Jesus. See, we need to have people in our lives like that that we can, they can say to and point and say, that's the Lord. And they will believe you enough, they'll jump in after it. Do you have anybody in your life like that, that you've got that kind of confidence? If they pointed and said, you know what, this is the Lord, they would take off that that was hindering them and they would dive for it. That's called being in relationship, being connected. And Peter had that. And, and, and what had happened here in the Bible, I don't have time to go to all the scriptures, but the, the Bible actually says that the Lord had appeared in his resurrected form to Peter personally. He went to him personally. It says in Scripture that it says the, our Lord has appeared to Simon. Jesus in his resurrected form made a personal visit to this guy that felt like I'm of no use any longer. He visited him in person. And that's why when they got to the, when Peter got to the shore, remember the conversation that Jesus had with him. He said, Simon, Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah, do you, do you really love me? And of course, he used different Greek words, and I don't have time, and you know, a lot of preachers like to break all that down. But do you love me? And he said, yea, Lord, you, you know I love you. And they went through that three times. It's almost like undoing what Peter had done. In other words, he denied Jesus three times. Three times he told the Lord, I love you. He affirmed that he loved him. Where did, where did Peter deny that he knew the Lord? By a coal of fire. Where did he affirm that I love you? Jesus had a coal of fire sitting there. Because every time Peter smelt charcoal briquettes burning, he didn't want his mind to go back to what the, the problem that he had. Come on, somebody. He, the Lord just undone all that that the enemy had done to him. And the Lord affirmed that I love you, son. See, God's love for us is not based on anything that you and I do. 
And, and we don't understand that, and Peter didn't understand that. You got to understand that when the sacrifice for sin, Jesus was the sacrifice for sin, and it was the Bible says once and for all, and that's for all people and for all sin, not sin verb. It includes the noun, the sin. That's what the Bible teaches. Him who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so we still don't get that. We don't understand that. We don't understand. That, that, that we're forgiven, and Peter didn't understand it either. And you got to give these guys their props, man, because they're they're in between times. They're in the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. They're living in between times. Jesus, Galatians says, was born under the law to redeem those under the law, and that's why we don't understand things, and we don't understand that the New Testament does not start in Matthew chapter one, verse one, although your Bible says it does. It doesn't. The New Testament, the New Covenant, does not begin until the one who wrote the will is deceased, right? Try to collect on the will that you're in and before the person's dead. They're not going to help you out with that. The will, the testament, does not go into force until there is the death of the testor, right? And so when Jesus died and was buried and rose from the dead, that's when the new covenant started. That's why you have things, you know, people used to, I raised up, and I've told you this before, I was raised up, well, you know, do the words in red because they're more important. If you do what's in red, you know, you'll, you, you'll be all right. Just do everything that's in red. Oh, you want to do everything in red? Let me give you some verses in red. Right hand offends you, cut it off. There's your one. You going to do that one? No, you're not doing that one. Oh, so you picking and choosing which you want to do. That's called hypocrite. Your right eye offends you, pluck it out. No, you ain't going to do that one. It's in red. You said you was going to do what was in red. I learned that the words in red are to make you dead. Because the words in red were Jesus preaching law to those under law. The law is designed to kill you. The letter killeth. The spirit giveth life. They had watered down the law. They said, we're doing pretty good. We're keeping the law. Jesus on his inaugural sermon said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you've ever looked at someone and lusted, you're guilty of adultery. Did he water down the law or did he bring the law up to his true standard? He brought it up to his true Why? Because the law would do what it's designed to do. That's to let you know that you cannot boast in your obedience to the law. You have The Bible says if you've ever broken one law, you're guilty of breaking all the laws. That makes everybody lawbreakers and you can't save yourself. So that's what Jesus did. That's why Jesus... In red, it said things like, if you do not forgive your brother his trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. And we still got preachers in the pulpit today that do not know that we're under the new covenant. They don't know when the New Testament uh, started, and they were up on Sunday mornings preaching to their people that verse and declaring it to them that that's the rule that you got to do. And they're telling people things like, if you don't forgive somebody, then you're cut off. God don't hear your prayers, and, and blah, blah, whatever. And they confuse the daylights out of people because they don't know the Word of God. They don't know when the New Testament started. They think it started in Matthew chapter 1. 
That's why when the Apostle Paul comes along and he's preaching grace, he says, forgive people. Yeah, forgive people even as your Heavenly Father has, past tense, forgiven you. But that's why things change because the cross changed everything. The cross changed everything. And some people live their lives as if Jesus' coming, dying, and resurrection meant nothing. And I see it all the time. And, 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 and people don't understand that there's a, we're in the new covenant. And somebody needs to notify people that we're in the new covenant now. We're under grace, not under law. The Bible says that, 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 that when Peter, he plunged into the sea, he, 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 he got there and he started to get what John had already got. But let, I want to give you some hope. John, the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, whom John is referring to himself, I'm a disciple the Lord loves. And when somebody asks you who you are, that's what you should start telling them. Who are you? I'm a disciple the Lord loves. That should be your identity, not your name, but your identity is not that you love God, but your identity is that God loves you. You hear me say it all the time. Yeah, I acknowledge that I love God, but my greater acknowledgement is that he loves me. And that's the thing that you just can't ever get over, and that's what makes grace amazing. See, but that, that apostle John that came to this great revelation that gave him the strength to stand there at the foot of the cross when no other disciple could stand there, what gave this dude the strength to be there when the other ones couldn't? He had a revelation that I'm loved by God no matter. I blew it just like everybody. I forsook him just like everybody. I blew it royally, but I got over it quick because I know this man loves me. And I'm going to keep on keeping on. And it gave him the strength to stand there when others couldn't stand. It was that revelation. But let me tell you something. This dude didn't start out like this. Mm -mm, not like that at all. In fact, uh, a lot of scholars in Mark, 13, uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus, when he sees James and John, they're brothers, they're both disciples, he, he caught, he caught, the Bible calls them sons of Zebedee. That was their dad. But Jesus named them and said, You're, he gave them the name uh, uh, that, that literally means, he, they translated it in English, sons of thunder. And we think that means, boy, they're thundering preachers. Actually, it means sons of commotion. The word thunder is commotion. And so most scholars, you know, what it means is tempestuous. It means uh, troublemakers. These were rough fishermen. And when Jesus saw them, he said, you boys are sons of commotion. Y'all cause a commotion everywhere you go. How I many know it's not a compliment? And, and, and so, so this is how John was before he got that revelation. John in Luke chapter 9, verse 52, they go to a village of the Samaritans. And, they're, and because Jesus is, they, Jesus is wanting to come there to minister and to preach to these people, and the disciples go ahead of Jesus to prepare, you know, for, 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 that, for him to come. But when they got there, the, the Samaritans said, we don't receive him. We don't want him to come to our village. We don't want to hear him preach. Get out of here. Well, then John is standing there at the city limit sign when Jesus comes. And what does this beloved disciple who's got this great revelation, not yet, of I'm loved by God. He says, uh, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? In other words, John is standing there saying, let's burn this place to the ground. Let's burn them down. And Jesus looks at him and rebukes him and says to John, he said, you don't know what kind of spirit you're in. 
He said, the Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. It's like, John, bro, you need to get a cup of coffee and chill out or something. I came to preach here, and you wanting to burn the whole village to the ground. That doesn't sound like a guy that's really moving in love, does it? And, and, and then in, in Luke 9, uh, verse 49, John, again, this disciple, that eventually will come to this revelation, but he didn't start out that way. you got to give people time. He, 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 the Bible says he saw, he went to come to Jesus. He said, Master, uh, we saw this guy casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he didn't go with us. He didn't follow us. Jesus again is like, man, these knuckleheads. Jesus says, man, don't forbid him. He's casting out demons. My goodness. He said, if he's not against us, he's on our side. Just because he don't go to your church, it don't mean he's your enemy. <laughs> you cast out your demons, let him cast out them demons, okay? John's not looking too good, is he? Wants to burn the place down. He's telling this guy to stop it. And then that's not bad enough. He, these two brothers conspire and they go to Jesus in Mark 10 and verse 35 and they say, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we're about to ask you. If somebody tells you that I want you to do whatever I'm going to ask you to do, you know it's not going to be good, right? And so Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? They said, we want you to grant us that we will sit, each of us, one on your right hand and the other on your left hand in your glory. What do you think the other disciples would think about that conversation? So they said, you know, that's what we want. Not a big deal. We just want to sit on your right and, and on your left, and we want to sit there with you and bask in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. He said, are you able to drink the cup that, I'm being, that I've got to drink from? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I've got to be baptized with? He said, only my father assigns those seats. Do you know, you would think that would have shut them up, but it didn't. You know what they do? They go to their mommy. Grown men went to their mommy and said, mommy, we asked him, but he wouldn't let us. She says, and if you understand the Bible, not mean this arrogantly, Actually, their mommy is the sister to Mary, and it's their aunt. It's Jesus' aunt. And uh, her name, uh, Salome. So it's Aunt Salome to Jesus. So they send her to him in Matthew 20 and 20. And so the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons in tow. She's got her boys with her. And kneeling down, asking something from him, and he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. Surely he denied us, but he won't deny Aunt Salome. Jesus said, only my father can grant those seats. These guys are not looking good at all. I want you to have hope, not only in yourself, but in other people, and learn to be patient with people while they're growing in this. Everybody's not going to instantly bounce to grace and the love of God. I had a guy uh, text me yesterday, long, long text. He's sitting back there. 
I love him. I won't, I won't do no more than that to identify him. Precious brother. And I was so proud of him because he confronted legalism yesterday. He said he run into a guy yesterday morning talking to a guy. And man, this guy was just spewing stuff that was so wrong. And he's a preacher. And my brother back there, at least I told him, I said, thank you for standing up for the truth, man. And what he did was just text me to, to say, thank you, Pastor, for, for preaching this. And like, imagine he was talking about the, the damage this guy does in the pulpit, man, doing this stuff. And, and it happens, and, and, and I just don't get it. And, and he, you know, and, and I see it all the time. And, and sometimes I just have to quit reading social media because it, it just is so hard to read when you know, you know, that people say, well, don't tell people they're forgiven because they'll just live any kind of way. So you're saying that God brought the wrong remedy. That the antidote for sin, which is grace, was wrong. That the antidote for sin, which is grace, actually, actually empowers the sinner instead of deliver the sinner. Is that what you're saying? The Bible says that the, the grace of God teaches you to say no to ungodliness. If grace teaches you to sin and just don't worry about it, then that's not grace. That's not grace. It, it, and if you think knowing the rules keeps you from sin, well, we just need more preaching on sin. How's that worked out for the last hundred years? It, 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 the Bible says when you preach the law, it empowers sin. We, 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 we don't even read the Bible. It empowers, it gives strength to sin. Paul said, I wouldn't even know what covetedness was unless the law told me not to covet. It, it makes sin exceedingly sinful. It empowers and inflames sin to the point that you realize you cannot conquer that on your own. And, and, and so we, we see John, he didn't, he didn't start out as a disciple that got this revelation, but he grew into that. And I don't know exactly what the, 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 the pivot point was for him that, you know, maybe it was the cross itself and seeing the love of this man. The Bible says over and over that he had loved them all the way to the end. He loved each of them, and he had declared that and demonstrated that and shown that. But then John finally got the revelation. You know what? This ain't about me trying to love about him, you know, Jesus. This is about Jesus loving me. I'm a disciple that the Lord loves. And I, and I, I just want to say this to you, man. The, the, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.22 that... that uh, we are built together a habitation of God through the Spirit. In other words, God inhabits us. He, he dwells in us. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not just Christ for you. It's not just Christ with you, but it's Christ in you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, if any man be in, in Christ, then that man in that instant, in that very moment, is, not will be if he lives, he is a what? A totally new creation. He is a new creation. Old things are old, passed away. All things have become new. How many things become new? All. And I'll tell you this over and over. This is not you. Salvation did not take the old you, buff you up a little, give you a new paint job, send you on your Christian life. The old you, the old me was so messed up that we had to die. Couldn't fix it. Well, when did I die? You died with Christ. That's what Romans teaches. Most Christians know Jesus died for them. Most Christians do not know that Jesus died as them. 
you, you died with Christ. People that teach you have a sin nature still, they don't read the Bible, they don't understand it. The only Bible that confuses the daylights out of that, and I'm not saying you should throw it away, it's the New International Version, because like 30 times it uses the word sinful nature, and it's not in the Bible. It doesn't appear in the King James, nor the New King James. It's not in there. And they translate the word flesh, sarx, S-A-R-X, they translate that in the New International Version as sinful nature. The Bible says clearly that now you are partakers of his divine nature. You might have a sinful habit, but you don't have a sin nature anymore. If you still got a sin nature, what did salvation do for you? Just left it. What did you do? What, what was it? And, and we see this all the time. Oh, I'm just an old sinner, Brother Dale, saved by grace. That's your identity now, huh, sinner? But that's not what the Bible teaches. It's, you think it sounds good. You think it sounds humility. And you say it because you heard Grandpa say it. But it's actually heresy. To claim after salvation that you're still a sinner. Just because you sin and have the ability to sin don't make you one. I can sit in my garage go ud and udding, but that don't make me a car. Come on, somebody. You're not a sinner. You didn't lose your, your ability to sin once you got born again. You did lose your ability to enjoy it long term. You won't. Because it's not your nature. It's not your nature anymore. And the more you learn to partake of that divine nature, all that, you live the true identity that you are now, that new creation, and you live out of that. Most sadly, most of us grew up, like I did, in a religious system that perpetuates the idea that God is somehow bipolar. That he loves you, but he's also angry with you. And, and, and that God looks at our behavior constantly. And if our behavior is not good, and if we sin against God or whatever, then, then he turns away from us. He turns his face from us. Somehow we have this image of God sitting in a swivel chair. You're doing good, and you're obeying all the rules, and God's looking at you, and he's smiling. Oh, you sinned. Then God has turned his back on you. This era is preached all the way. They preached the fire out of it last Sunday that God turned his back on his son while he hung on the cross. There is no scripture that says that, and that is nothing but heresy. And I know you think it is true because Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? What Jesus was doing was saying the exact words that you find in the 22nd Psalm. Psalm 22, 23, and 24 make up a trilogy of messianic prophecies. And just like most of us know the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, all Jewish people memorized and knew Psalm 22, 23, and 24 because this Psalm's about the Messiah. And Jesus literally quoted word for word the Messianic prophecies in those Psalms. And he said the exact same words in those Psalms so that those Jews standing at the foot of the cross would know I am the Messiah that you looked for. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the last verse said that God was in Christ. That God was in Christ reconciling the sin of the world unto himself. The Bible right there tells you God was in Christ. If God would forsake Jesus on the cross because of sin, what hope do me and you have? God would never forsake. Well, God's so holy he can't look at sin. That's not in the Bible. Preachers say it all the time. God's so holy he can't even look at sin. Where did you get that from? Out of your head? Did Adam and Eve sin in the garden? 
did God never return again? I thought you said he's so holy he can't look at sin. Now you got to, wait now. Did they sin in the garden or not? Did God still come? Did he still talk to them? Did he look at them when he talked to them? Kind of blows that verse up that you don't have in the Bible that you use like it's in there. To say that God can't look at sin is saying like a farmer can't look at cow poop and he's got a cattle farm. Oh, I'm so shocked. These cows is pooping in the pasture. Hey, I got a verse for that. You want to hear it? <laughs> Proverbs. Where, the, where no oxen are, the stall is clean. But by the strength of the ox, the harvest comes in. No farmer is shocked. God's not shocked even after you're born again that you still sin. That's not your identity. You're not good at it anymore. That's a license to sin. Anybody ever checked anybody's license in here when you sin? Hey, can I see your license? You just sinned. I want to, can I check your license? Where'd they come up with that? That's a license to sin. Grace is a license to sin. I've never needed a license to sin. I've sinned without license all the time. Never needed a license. Nobody's ever checked my license. Hey, whoa, 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 you sin, man. Can I see your license? Stupid stuff we say. The grace of God is the remedy and the power. For your sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because you're no longer under the law, but you're under grace. Grace is the antidote. Grace is the power. And so most of us grew up under that, that, that guy. And, and, and so we, and people have been told, well, you know, brother, you need to put that sin under the blood. Anybody's ever heard that one? Your sin is not under the blood nowhere. That's like you need to put that trash under the rug. The, sin, the trash is still there. It's just under the rug. Jesus did not atone for sin. People get this confused. Jesus eliminated sin. Old Testament was atonement. Old Testament, the sacrifices of animals atoned for sin. In other words, it just kept shoving it this way. But when Jesus came, he removed sin. He took it away. He separated as far as the east is from the west. He, 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 he put it in the sea of forgetfulness. It's gone. He took it away. Jesus didn't atone. He removed it. He removed the barrier, the problem. He removed it. The problem now that you and I have is not forgiveness. It's receiving life. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundant. That's why Jesus came. So that, so that we would have life. And so, so most of us grew up, you know, said, well, you need to, you know, when you sin, you need to do something to get back right with God. You need to do something to get right with God. You, you need to, like God's giving you the silent treatment. Oh, you sin, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to turn my back on you. I'm not going to answer your prayers. See, listen to me, over and over. And we still got people, oh, Lord, we just pray that you would cause your face to smile upon us. Don't get mad. That is a stupid prayer. That's an Old Testament prayer. Just because it's in the Bible don't mean it's appropriate for today. Over and over, you can read Psalms particularly, and David was always saying, Lord, don't hide your face from me. Or, Lord, why have you hidden your face from me? Oh, Lord, turn your face towards me. David did that a lot. That's why it was appropriate in Psalm 51 after David committed adultery with Bathsheba for David to say, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You should never pray that because God is not a liar. And God said, I will never forsake you. I'll never leave you. 
if God took his Holy Spirit from anybody, he'd have to take Jesus because Jesus said, if you don't have the Spirit of God, neither you're not saved. You don't have me. You, he that has not the Spirit of God is not born again. You don't get one or the other. I mean, you, what, it's just ridiculous. Well, I just want to be close to the Lord, Brother Dale. I'm just trying to be close to God. How's that working out for you? And when do you know you get there? What do you get? A ding, 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 ding on the magic bell. How do you know you got close? And how close is close? How do you know you're close? Because you feel close? Because you went to church and you sung a song? Or you got a goosebump while you was worshiping at the house? Oh, so you're close right then? But how about when a person cuts you off and you cuss them out? Are you close then? What, what, listen, what do you think it is that makes you close to God? So you think you're the one that makes you close to God? Your performance? What you do? So you're trying to tell me that what you do dictates the proximity that you have with God. Is that what you're believing? Ephesians says that we have been made, he said, now you were once far off from God. You were once outside the commonwealth of the covenants of Israel. You were away from God without hope in this world. But now, you have been, past tense, made near to God. By what? By the blood of the Lamb. So what is it that makes a person near, close to God? The blood of Jesus. Once you've been made close to God, you can never be unclose to God. Once you've been connected with God, you can never be unconnected with God. Because we are not in a visitational covenant, we are in a habitational covenant. God says that you are a habitation for me. Under the Old Testament, that was a visitational covenant. That was a covenant where God would come upon them. He would come upon people like Samson and empower them. And he would come upon David and he would come upon people like that. And then he would depart off of them. And he would come and he would go. That's why Jesus, when he came, he said, it's your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter will not come. But if I go, I will not leave you like this orphans. I will send my spirit he will not only be with you but he shall be in you God said once I go in you I will never leave you I will never forsake you I will go with you all the way to the end of the world if you go in a in a prostitute house God says I'm going right in there with you if you're my kid I'm going God I'll go to church with you God goes everywhere with you I got born again when I was 12 years old, and, and, I, and I, in the teenage years, backslid. I thought I lost my salvation. I just didn't know nothing. We was raised, you could get saved 10 times if you wanted to. And, I, and, and as far as I was concerned, I was lost as I ever was. I didn't know I was still a, a son. I was just in, I was building me a pig pen. And I went into a, I'm so old, I, you know, disco, you ever heard of that? Google it this afternoon. I was in Pepper's Disco in Tifton, Georgia, 19 years old. It didn't even enter my mind God was in there with me. None of my family going to church, nobody even thinking about church. We was all professional heathens. I had a guy that was hanging with me. I'm trying to give parents hope. We, I hadn't been to church in years, yet I would ride by my old church where I got saved. And I would look and see that cross lit up, and I'd be by myself, a teenager, and I would start crying. Why did I do that? Because I was away from home. I was a son. And, and if I'd have died, I'd died as a son. A son's a son, whether he's in a pig pen or at daddy's house. 
Tell the sun. God didn't do any of that. You build your own pig pen. You build it. And I remember being in that disco that night. It don't make sense to people, and it's too hard to explain. But I just know it. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, I'm trying to show you the power of God's reach. I, I, I'd hang out with this guy, and, and we, would, we would just, you know, do our stuff. And I don't even want to tell you what that stuff was. But I had to do chasing girls, drinking liquor, you know. I mean, that was, that was, that was the agenda. And, and we did it every weekend. And one weekend, we'd crash at my house, at my parents' house, and next weekend, we'd crash at his house. And that's all we did. And Sunday didn't mean nothing but another day to do it. And it didn't matter that stores was closed back then on Sunday. Where you get it, we knew where to get it on Sunday. And it's just another day for us. Sleep to lunch, we'd get up, you know, try to over the hangover and go again. But on that night, on a Saturday night, standing in there, the Lord was with me. All by myself. Nobody hand me a track. Nobody, I'm not knocking anything. I'm just standing in there. I'm minding my own business trying to get my, you know, trying to get my thing going in there, you know. And God's like, I felt the Lord. And I just heard this voice, and I can't even explain it. I didn't even have no theology. I got saved when I was 12. I didn't know nothing. About 14, I left it. But I didn't ever know God didn't leave me. I thought he had done left me. He'd never left me. And, 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 and I heard the Lord say to me, son, is this what you want? And when he said that, I can't explain it. I don't know if it was like Paul said, in the body, out the body. My eyes were opened. And I literally saw things as they were. And it's just hard to explain. But I saw it, I believe, in the spirit realm. And it wasn't a terrifying thing. I mean, it bothered me. And I didn't even have an understanding. And I just told God, I said, God, and I was standing in the disco, <laughs> you know, beer in my hand. And I said, God, if you'll let me live to end the morning. I thought God was like a killer, man, just be stomping bugs, you know, and stuff. I didn't even know him. I really didn't know him. I just said, God, because I, I thought it had to be church, steeple, altar, you know. I said, God, if you'll let me lift it in the morning, I'll be in church. I'll come home to you. Went home with this good Kevin. He came to my house. I don't know what time we got in. We still went on and did our thing. But I woke up next morning. Kevin's right there. Left him there. My parents, they, they, they was out, you know, in those days, party and stuff. They don't know when they come in. Ain't nobody going to church in that house for years. I got up, got, got my shower, went to church. I sat on the edge of the pew. I couldn't wait for Charles Blair to quit preaching. I didn't care if he was preaching. Mary had a little lamb, fleece white snow. It didn't make no difference what he preached. I was just waiting for the altar call. And as soon as he said, you could come get saved, man, I took off. I was the first one to the altar. 19 years old, I knelt down on the altar. And as far as I was concerned, I got saved that day. I didn't really. Now I understand. I actually got saved when I was 12, but I just come home to Papa. I mean, when I got up, man, I just, I was just like, all the people I'd be talking about, and I just, a bunch of them, I didn't like, I loved all of them. And, and, and I left, and I got home, and, and, when, and, and so that day, you know, my family got up, 
and my, my, you know, they was asking, my dad was asking Kevin, he said, he said you know, you know, where the heck Dale at? He said, I don't know. He said, you live where he's at? You leave him in Tifton? He's at some girl's house? What the deal? He said, I'm telling you, Mr. Young, he came home with me last night. I don't know where he's at. I promise. He, his car's gone. He, he, I promise he came home. Well, they weren't worried about me too much because they was all eating. <laughs> and when I got home, at, you know, after church, I walked in. They was all at the table eating. Gave me right there with them. So they wasn't nobody worrying about me too bad. And I, I walked in and I looked at my dad and said, you know, where you been? And I said, I've been to church. I said, I got saved this morning. That's all I knew. Everybody quit with your fork. <laughs> Especially Kevin. He finished eating, put the fork down. That's been a long time ago. Long time. 40 plus years, whatever. Seen him one time since then. We wasn't buddies, buddies. We were just partners in crime. Take away the crime, you ain't got nothing where you can hang out. And I was by myself in that house for a little, you know, for a long time before people started getting getting their life together. But one person born again in the house will make a difference. And so I started going to church and just do it, you know, live my life. And then here here goes my dad. And and he he got you know he come back to God, and then it was my brother and then my sister, and then lastly my mom, and our whole family come back to to the Lord. I'm not taking the credit for it. I'm just saying light makes a difference where there's darkness, and, and it didn't happen overnight. But you you be hopeful, mom and dads. If God can do that in my life, when I hadn't been to church in years, and I and if I saw a Christian, I'd go the other way. Because I didn't want to hear it, I didn't want to hear your stuff, and I didn't want you to invite me nowhere because I ain't going. But God on his own came in there, got me, revealed himself to me, and, and whatever that happened, it, I know it was him, it sure wasn't the enemy. And, it, and, and, and I, I just wish I could have had a better testimony. I wish I'd have known theology where I could have got saved right there in the flashing lights of the, pit, of the disco. It just sounds cooler story. I could have said right there in the disco, I knelt down and give my, you know, but I had to, because I, I thought it had to be in church for it to be official. You know what I'm saying? Listen to me. We are in a habitational culture now. It changes everything. John finally got it. It took Peter a while, but before it was over with, Peter got it. And he came into that same revelation that I am loved by the Lord no matter what. And when you come to that, it will transform your life. It will transform how you see the errors and the mistakes. That's why the Bible says, I tell you this over and over, a righteous man falls seven times. He might fall, but he's still righteous. And it's a righteous man when he fell. And it's a righteous man that if he knows he's righteous, he said he'll get back up again. Why? Because he'll be like John. You, there might be time you've blown it or have blown it, but you'll get over it quicker than these other people that don't know that's trying to live by law and obeying rules and think God's, you know, relating to you based on that. He's not relating to you. You're as close to God as you'll ever be because he's put you in Jesus. 
And you may not feel close. And I know you feel closer when you're singing gospel songs and you go into church and you read your Bible. I understand that. But that's a feeling. But it doesn't change the reality of the truth that you are in Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus is in you. Do not try to figure it out. Just believe it. And it will change everything. Would you, do you receive the word this morning? Stand to your feet. Give God praise. Hallelujah. How many disciples are in here that are loved by the Lord? Could I see your hand? God bless you. How many of you are close to God? <laughs> How many of you are close to the Grace Point Sanctuary? Could I see your hand? Are you close to us? How many of you are in the Grace Point Sanctuary? Would you please not waste time trying to pray to get closer to the Grace Point Sanctuary because you're in it. Don't ask me to pray for you to get closer to the sanctuary when you're standing in the sanctuary. How many knows that's a waste of prayer? Don't spend any more time praying to get close to God. Don't tell me to go get somebody, oh, brother so-and-so, because he's close to God to pray for you. I'm close to God because I'm in Christ and I'm in Jesus. That's as close as you can get. See, that's all head games, like there's proximities. And, oh, that brother's further, that, none of that. Just get up every day and say, Father, I thank you that I'm in Christ Jesus and that you're in me. I thank you that I'm close to you. I thank you that you'll never leave me nor forsake me, that you'll go with me all the way, even to the end of the age. And just thank God for that. Live out of that truth and, and live like the truth that the Bible tells you. Agree with God. Agree with God and agree with his word. Amen? Anybody get anything out of this today? Come on, give him praise. Listen, I'm going to cut you loose. We sincerely love you. And as I tell you, almost every Sunday, we believe in praying for people. We believe. I'm not going to tell you. You know, I was a paramedic. You don't think I got some car wreck stories? 20 years paramedic. I got a lot of car wreck stories. And I can dangle you over hell on a rotten stick, and I can get even the elders to come up here and get saved again if I tell my stories. We don't play none of those games here. What we want you to do is know this. The Bible said it's the love of God. It's the goodness of God. God's goodness is what leads people to repentance. The word repent means to think differently. And when you find out how good God is, you know what you do? You begin to think differently about God. And when you start thinking differently about God, you'll start secondly thinking differently about yourself. And when you start thinking differently about yourself, you're going to start thinking differently about other people. And that's the life that God wants you to live. I'm going to be standing down here, and it'll be my privilege to pray with you. You want to talk to me? I'm not going to get in no counseling session, but I'll talk to you. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to pray with you for anything, healing, whatever it is, salvation, whatever it is. We'd love to pray with you. And if there's more people come than I can handle, not because I'm special, but the elders, they're standing by, they're watching, they'll come and help me pray with you. It's our privilege to do so, to serve you that way. But we love you. God bless you. I'll be down front if you want prayer. Go enjoy this beautiful weather that God's given us in this day. Amen. God bless you.